So, we've been into this study now. This is going to be our third week into the study on love. And we talked about many of the different views of love that the culture and really historically has been spoken of. Uh, today we're going to kind of look into the last major view of what love is. And we're going to next week look at the practical living out of this kind of love. We believe that God wants us to live this love out the most, the most consistently, and he exemplifies it the most to us in his word. So before we start this morning, though, I do have a question I want to ask. If you were to ask someone that you admire what they particularly love about you, what would that be? Someone that you admire, what they particularly love about you, what would that be? What would they mention? What would they say? You see, many of us, we tend to think of ourselves probably higher than what others do sometimes. And then in our praise of others, we tend to give ourselves a higher notch, a higher value, a higher perspective. In doing so, what tends to happen is when people think of love in our culture, there is always a comparison that goes on. There is always a comparison in a husband and a wife, and one says, I love you, the other one says, no, you don't, and back and forth we go. Simply because, in most cases, the love that we are trying to live out is not this last form of love that we're going to talk about this morning. We are trying to live out love on the playing field of what the world says love is. And on that playing field, we end up losing every time. The reason we end up losing every time is because you and I, we wake up in different moods different days, do we not? Does everybody wake up and the first thing they think about is how wonderful and lovely they want to be to everybody else that day? Is that the first thing? I mean, most of you, you have these, I've seen your Facebooks. There's this thing that says, you know, until I finish my coffee, don't talk to me. You know, one of those kind of things, right? So we have the, the, uh, the Christian, you know, if you will, fill up before we will show and exemplify love. It's not just Christian, most of the world has that too, but... It's interesting that we have an expectation of what love is of others that we don't hold ourselves to. We have an expectation of love that we want to see in others that we don't hold ourselves to. How do I know that? How do you know that? Well, how many times in our lives have we given ourselves an excuse that we demanded it out of someone else? How many times do we give ourselves a pass in the very thing we were frustrated that someone else did? Is that not something that becomes a weekly occurrence sometimes? You know, well, you didn't do this. You didn't show me love in this way. And then we shoot off in all the reasons why we were okay in not doing that. So we have a a tendency to be biased towards ourselves and biased towards others. One of the difficulties right now, I think, in our church and really in Christendom overall is we have lost this perspective of love in the modern Christian church. The reason why I say we lost this perspective of love in the modern Christian church is because most people, they take 85 to 90% of what the world says and define love through that lens, and the little bit they get on a Sunday morning if they're Christians and, and churchgoers, they insert that into the great big 
definition that they found in the world and they kind of just throw it in there and hopefully they stir it up and it comes out with something a little bit better than what they've had. Have you ever tried to make something, fathers, mothers, with your children, and you're stirring something together and they added too much of one ingredient and it didn't go well, right? How many of you ever added too much salt when you're cooking? Have you ever had that response from somebody that's tasted it? Yeah, it's good. Really good. <laughs> Love it. You see, the reality is, is we think that by adding a little bit of what God expects of love, that we're going to change everything else. And I would t- tell you this, that this form of love is unlike anything else. It can't be mixed. It can't be brought about by whatever we would like that day. This is something that is a higher calling because this is a love that God himself demonstrated to us because he is this love. So, let's go really quick and just review a few things we've talked about. We talked about eros a few weeks ago. This is a word that we get our erotic, romantic feelings that we have for someone. Everybody that says, I've been in love with somebody, this is what they're talking about. So, this is their view of love. It's a common definition of love when we tell others we're in love. This view is also almost exclusively based on emotions. How do we know that? You know, they loved each other for two years, now they hate each other. That's how we know it's based on emotion. It's not something that really is based on anything beyond that. So this is what we see in culture a lot. This view of love can become indistinguishable from lust or passion because someone's emotions are being stirred. That's what's going on. So, this is also the most self-centered view of love. This is one where if you don't make me happy, this ain't going to work. All right? Like, you're not making me happy. I don't like you anymore. I don't love you anymore. And it really goes that direction. This is a very self-centered view of love. This love is always about what it can get, not necessarily what it can give. If it does give, it's it's in order to get something again. Okay? So it's very, very demanding. Scripture is not against romance. We saw that clearly. In Song of Solomon, there's, there's a romantic side to every relationship a married couple has. There's nothing wrong with that. It encourages that. But I, I promise you, if you're going to stay on this view of love, your relationships will not last long. Okay? My relationship with my wife will not last long if I go off of this view of love. So here we go. The next view of love we had was storge. This is a familial devotion. This is, a, this is the natural love that a parent has for their children. You know, when Junior comes home from the hospital and we just can't help but post about it on Facebook, look at how cute he is. Look at how adorable she is. Isn't she the most cutest thing on the earth? You know, everybody has to know how much we love this baby boy or girl, right? This is, the, this is that kind of love that is natural. God has ingrained it into man to love their children. Now, Are there some variations of this? Yes. There are some people that really come from unhealthy homes, and I'm not talking about that. I'm specifically talking about the normal pattern is this familial love that a parent has for a child. This view of love is under attack today. We talked about this this as well. Where society, where a parent's obligation or affection to their children is tested many times. Where Where culture tells us it's not really, you know, love if you discipline your children. You should let your children do more. And, and most of us know if we grew up in any homes where there was discipline that the more mom and dad didn't discipline us, the worse we got. So we, we, we know that that's opposite, but for some reason we've bought into all the articles and, and the things that we've read in our culture. We looked at the importance of the fact that this love is really one of those that we don't have to be taught. It's really implanted and ingrained in us as a parent to our children. 
and vice versa, the, the children to the parents. The last one that we talked about last week was phileo. This is one uh, where really it's a word as defined as friendship or brotherly love. This is a love that's built over time based on somebody that we've met along the way, and we have a connection. We talked about this last week. You meet somebody the first time, and boom, you've formed a relationship. You love that person. They love you. Um, and, you know, for the first time ever, for some reason, you have a connection with somebody you didn't think you'd have a connection with. Before you know it, you, you're talking all the time. You're hanging out all the time. You have a lot of things you start seeing in common, and you will be willing to do anything for them, and they'd be willing to do anything for you. There's a high regard for one another. This is, this is phileo. Phileo is different from storge in that it's usually built with someone. It's not built on just my own needs. So there's a, there's a give and take that goes on in phileo. Love. This is a friendship love. This, this love responds with a deep sense of appreciation for the other friend or companion that we've, we're connected with. It's also the form of love that sees beyond the shallow eros love that says, you know what, we need to find some things that are in common in this relationship. We talked about the fact that many times in marriage relationships, this is the love that's lacking. Where it's one spouse wanting to do what they want to do and the other spouse going, you don't care to do what I like to do. There's not a friendship that's formed. Do you see how eros will not be enough for marriage in that case? You see, this is why the friendship love, the phileo love, is something that needs to be stirred up in the church community once again. This is a missing view of love in the church today. And sadly, what happens is people have this view of love with others and sometimes lack it in their own home. It's a travesty that that goes on. But it does. With phileo being about both people and their best in the relationship, it crumbles as soon as trust is broken. As soon as trust is broken, the relationship breaks down. And this is one of the reasons why even this one, with its high regard for the other, will break down if this is the only love we look at through this lens. The one we are looking at today, the latest one, the best one, God's love, is agape. Agape. Agape or agapao. This is the most noble word for love because it originates from God's own nature. We've been reading this text for quite some time. I want to repeat again. Look at what it says in 1 John 4, 7 through 11. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love, and this is particularly this word we're talking about, does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us. How did God show his love to us? He sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and, had, and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Now, what are we referring to as far as this kind of love that God demonstrates to us? This is a sacrificial love that God demonstrates to us. This is a love that goes beyond anything you can imagine of someone pursuing someone else. This is a love that loves in the sense that the person that is the most to be despised is shown the most mercy. This is the love that goes further than any human being has gone before. This is a love that is transcendent to you and me because this is something that originates from God himself. 
There's a reason why if people try to practice agape love and they don't know the Father and they don't know His Son, Jesus Christ, it's going to be very difficult to practice this in life. Simply because we as mere human beings don't understand and fathom how somebody can't respond to us. We can't understand how somebody should be loved unconditionally. Without any reservations. We don't understand that kind of love. It's a powerful thought here. In fact, the word beloved can be translated divinely loved ones. Divinely loved ones. So when God looks at humanity and he sends Jesus Christ and those that come, to, come in faith and trust what Jesus has done on their behalf on the cross, God looks at them as his divinely loved ones. His divinely loved ones. If you're here this morning and you're saying, you know, this whole thing about church, Jesus, seems confusing, seems frustrating sometimes because I see inconsistencies in the way people live, you're absolutely right. There will always be inconsistencies in the way people live. And I'll tell you why that is. Because this love comes from God himself. This love, no one's perfectly lived out but Jesus Christ. Nobody. Not a single person on this earth has ever lived this love out perfectly. We demand, we plead, we bargain with people. This love gives unconditionally, sacrificially, without any strings attached. This is a love that is very hard to live. And this is a love that we are called to live out if we are believers in Jesus Christ. We are called to live this love out. This is why this text says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. This love is of God. And everyone that loves in this way, unconditionally, is born of God. How do you know you have the love of God in you? You're willing to unconditionally love others. Without any strings attached. And the reason you can do that is because Jesus Christ unconditionally loved you. You're not doing it because you're a good person. And you feel good that day. You're doing it because Jesus did something on your behalf. And that's why you're doing that on others' behalf as well. Are we connecting those dots? Here's another thing that's important. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. God sent the most precious thing to Him. His Son, Jesus Christ, on our behalf. The most precious thing that many of us have are our children. I love many of you, but I would not take my son and go, anything for that person I will swap my son for. I don't have that kind of love for people. I just don't. God has that kind of love for us. And here's the important truth in God's demonstration of that love towards us. You and I never deserved it. You see, every other form of love has some kind of back and forth. This one has no strings attached. I love you even though you hate me. I love you though you despise me. I love you though you don't even recognize my existence on this earth. This is the kind of love that God demonstrates to us through Jesus Christ. Another verse to show us this divine love is found in Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit. 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. This love that we're talking about. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. This love is the love that the Holy Spirit works out in the believer. This is the love that is so divine that if man is left to himself to try to live out, he will constantly keep dropping the ball over and over and over again. Because as soon as a person thinks they are living unconditional love out, within two days, they throw conditions on it. If they last that long. Many of us can't last a couple hours without thinking, why didn't, why didn't someone do something on my behalf? Don't they know that I've loved them? Don't they know that I've done this for them? This love is another level. God himself gives this word meaning by stating this is who he is, and he uses this word throughout the Bible. So, what else do we know about agape love? Agape love finds virtue and praise for the other and giving of oneself for the other. Ask yourself, how easy is it to praise someone else that disdains you? Well, let's, let's bring this down to the very minimal. You had a bad day that day, and somebody that you know has a disdain for you that day because you might have done something that upset them, you are to, if you will, show reverence. Give them their elevated status even though they particularly don't care for you that day. Or as this, this uh, phrase here says, find virtue and praise. You have, do you find some people, they're hard to find virtue and praise for? They're, they're people in, in life who just, I don't really know what I can say about them. I mean, they're constantly about themselves. They always live in their own world. They don't care about anybody else. And God wants me to show them unconditional love? Are you serious? Then? Here's here's the, the question you need to ask yourself, though. Have you seen yourself? Have you seen yourself lately? I mean a real look at yourself. I'm not talking about the one that is all done up in the mirror after you're done with yourself. I'm talking the one that you get up in the morning with. And I'm not talking just physical appearance. Okay? That's not what I'm talking about. I understand we all get ready for church. I get it. I'm talking about the internal, the heart, the attitude, the perspective. You see, this love is unconditional. In that even if the object of this love does not respond is angered, spiteful, or wishes ill, it continually pursues. This is the love God has shown to us. This is not a love that is natural to any human being. In fact, Scripture says this clearly, that agape love is a sacrificial love that God shows us because he is this love. Everybody knows John 3.16. Even people that don't go to church, they've heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God demonstrates his love in this way. So when people quote that verse and say, God so loved, they're missing the point of this verse. God loves unconditionally. So much so that he gave his son. God demonstrated his love by giving of his son unconditionally. 
No strings attached. You believe on His name. I'm not demanding anything from you. My son paid it all. Fully. 100%. John MacArthur says this about biblical agape love. He says, Biblical agape love is not an emotion, but a disposition of the heart to seek the welfare and meet the needs of others. Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. Now notice, that's a verse that Jesus is speaking ultimately about himself later on, laying his life down. And the word he uses is agape. Laying down your life for your friends goes beyond just having an affection for them. It is laying down unconditionally, knowing that no matter what happens between this time and that time, I'm still going to love that person unconditionally. This is a higher form of love than just phileo, which is a transactional almost back and forth, two friends together. And that is exactly what Jesus himself did on behalf of those God has chosen to be saved. In the ultimate divine act of love, God determined before the foundation of the earth that he would give his only son to save us. You see, agape love looks at the individual that it is trying to show that they, this, this actual love towards and it does not care what that person is like. It does not care where they come from. It does not care what they are doing in that moment. It just willingly gives of oneself. We're going to talk a little bit about, well, can, can, can this love be abused? Well, can, can, can things be done to where we don't have a proper view of what we should be doing in the situation. We're going to talk about those things because it's very important that we make sure we understand this, this view of love because it really is the hardest one to live out. We're at, at the end of the day, we're very selfish people. We like what we like. We don't like what others do. Uh, we tend to look at what others do and say that that's not loving and what we do is loving. And we give ourselves kind of a higher scorecard on what love is than others um, and that's the reason we have the tensions that we do between us and others, ourselves and others. Agape love, though, is a love of the will. Agape love is a love of the will. It's intentional, volitional, decisive. Intentional, volitional, decisive. John 13, 35 says this, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Hey, the love there that he's talking about is not a phileo love. The love he's talking about is an agape love, which is unconditional. So, hey, guess what? Those people you can't stand in church, guess what God calls you to do? Love them unconditionally. Aren't you glad you came this morning? Really? That lady? That guy? Some people just annoy us. Let's be real, okay? Let's just let's break this down and be practical for a second, okay? We, some people just annoy us, right? Like, we just don't want to be around them. Like, the first word that doesn't come out of our mouth is, man, I love that person. I just love them. If it does come out, we usually have, like, the southern phrase, bless their heart, you know? That's what comes out, right? Because for us, 
There's a lot that can be said about the fact that we connect with some people and others we just don't. When Jesus calls us to love one another, and that's how people will know we're his disciples, that means you love people you don't really care that much about enjoying being around them all the time. That means loving people, you're like, man, I, I, don't, I can't really talk to them for more than like two minutes. I should still love them unconditionally? Yeah. You should be willing to sacrifice for them? Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's what Jesus calls you to. Because here's the reality. Let me bring this back to ourselves here for a second. How many times are you unlovable? How many times do you not respond to what God is doing for you? How many times do, does God reach out unconditionally through what he's done on your behalf and you're like, I don't care about it. Yep, I know, Jesus died on my, for my sins. Yep, I know, I'm going to heaven. Yep, we're good. <coughs> don't you realize you're just as pathetic and yet Jesus still unconditionally loves you and you, it, it should baffle you that he does? Why? The problem with a lot of us is we ask why God doesn't do better things for us. We don't ask him why he does the good things he already does. Because here's the problem with us. We are little narcissistic human beings that constantly want what we want. And when God our Father wants something different, we don't like that. And we get upset at him for wanting different things for us than what we like. And I think he calls us children because that's how we act sometimes. Let's be real. We act like little children, right? Wah, wah, wah. It's hard. It's a really bad week, you know. Everybody, you know, no one's had it as hard as I have. You know, you're, other, you're parents, okay? Let's bring this to, 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 to something most of you can relate to. Your children come to you and complain about something. You know, just the other day, I had my... They're here. Um, <laughs> hey, Dad! He did this to me. Don't you know? You know, he keeps bothering me and all that. You know, I had my youngest actually close... Stephen in the, the closet the other day turned off the light. It was kind of hilarious. But, you know, and I'm sitting there and I'm wondering, I'm wondering at the end of the day, how do I teach these children to love one another the way they ought to as siblings, okay? We're not even asking for unconditional. I don't think that they'll understand that yet. But like, okay, Storge love. You, you love your brother. He's your brother, okay? Love him, okay? He, he's part of the family. You're part of the family. Yes, all of you are part of the family. None of you are adopted, <laughs> all right? So, here's the part that I find interesting is, you know, with our children, we get kind of like, are you kidding me? Can you stop it? Can you stop? Relax. He's your brother. He's younger than you. It's worse when it's he's older than you. But, you know, the point is, is we get to a point where we're frustrated with the children not getting along, right? And, and God, I think, does the same thing with us. I think God just stops sometimes and goes, Really? Because they didn't like your post on Facebook? Really? Because they didn't say hi to you that morning? Really? Because they didn't call you last week? Really? Folks, we really need to understand this is a different level than what most of us are used to living out. Because we are so in the transactional mode when it comes to people and us. There's always a, I give, you give. And what's even worse is when you give, we're like, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. When are you going to give it back? You know, that's the problem with us. 
We don't understand this kind of love because we don't understand that this is the love God has loved us with. As Jesus speaks to the Jewish leaders that denied his deity, he says the following statement. He says this in John 5, 42. He says, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. What Jesus is saying to these religious leaders is you don't have this kind of love that comes from God. The reason why unconditional love is so impossible to live out is if it's not lived out by the power of the Holy Spirit and by God himself, you and I are going to fail miserably. We're going to become very bitter people and very angry at everyone else. This view of love is the hardest to live out because this view of love requires more from you than any other view of love. There are a few references outside of Scripture that actually refer to this agape love. Agape love is almost exclusively New Testament. I read writings uh, from other authors re- regarding the different views of love. Even psychology has some, some statements to be made about agape. And they even noted themselves that this view of love is mainly found in the Word of God. This view of love is found in Scripture. It's very rare outside of the Word of God that this is used as often. Listen to what John MacArthur says about love. Agape love is the greatest virtue of the Christian life. Yet that type of love was rare in pagan Greek literature. That's because the traits agape portrays, unselfishness, self-giving, willful devotion, concern for the welfare of others, were mostly disdained in ancient Greek culture as signs of weakness. I would say that's still true today. However, the New Testament declares agape to be the character trait around which all others revolve. The Apostle John writes, God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. You see, this view of love, the reason why it's so hard to live out for many of us, is that we are looking at it outside of the the landscape of Scripture many times. Asking a believer to live out agape love without them being in the word is practically impossible. It's practically impossible. There's a reason why John writes to the church and tells them, if you are his disciples, you're going to love one another in this way. Because they need to be told and reminded that this is the love that was demonstrated to them that they need to now live out. And you and I need the same reminder all the time. You are to love people this way not because there is something good in that person, Here's a a reality check. There's nothing good in any of us. Okay? And now, now now that I've said that and put us on the level playing field, the only reason you and I are good is because we have a Father who's good. Okay? And God the Father is the one that gives us that definition. He loves us as His children. We are sons and daughters of His if we trust in Jesus Christ. He gives us eternal life. But let me remind you, in yourself there's nothing that dwells that's good in the standard of goodness that God defines. In the world standard, you'll be constantly telling yourself you're good. And everybody does that. Every week, look, I'm doing this, I'm doing this right. Look, see, I'm better here. I was kind to so-and-so. But that goodness is not defined by God because it's not connected to His Son, Jesus Christ. It's not through the power of the Holy Spirit what we see in the fruit of the Spirit. So a couple differences between agape and phileo. I really wanted to kind of be able to sort this out a little bit more clearly. Phileo is typically emotional in nature. We talked about this last week. Phileo is an affection for somebody else, a high regard for someone else that you have that really, it stirs your emotions. Agape is typically willful in nature. 
It's typically, I decide I am going to show this person honor, reverence, really my time, my energy, my devotion, without anything expected in return. There's no strings attached. Phileo tends to be impulsive in its initiation. We talked about this last week. Some of your friends you met randomly. Out of nowhere, you hung out, and all of a sudden, it clicked, right? You just, there's a friendship formed. Agape is not like that. Agape tends to be decisive in its initiation. You know what's incredible? Is that God was decisive in his initiation with us. That's incredible. God wasn't waiting around to see when man would make his day. He said, you know what? I'm sending Jesus Christ. You're hopeless. You don't have any hope apart from me doing this for you. But I'm going to show you that I love so unconditionally that I'm sending my son Jesus Christ. And many of you are going to spit on him. You're going to crucify him. You're going to deny he really existed. You're going to deny that he really is the way. You're going to hate him your whole life. You're going to hate me your whole life. But I still love unconditionally by sending of my son. Phileo typically requires reciprocation. Agape typically stands on its own. Agape does not need someone to reciprocate. God the Father loves Jesus with actually both kinds of love. There's surprisingly interchangeable uses, and I don't have this on the screen, but I really want to kind of give you this because I need to be honest with how the word sometimes is used. In John 15, 9, in telling that the Father loves him, the word is agapeo. In John 5, 20, it speaks of the Father's phileo love for the Son. So there are both uses in Scripture. In John 17, 23, the Father loves the disciples with agapeo love. But in John 16, 27, Jesus tells the disciples that the Father loves them with a phileo love. So they're, they're used sometimes almost interchangeably in the Scripture. In Luke 11.43, it says the Pharisees would agape the, agape the chief seats in the synagogue, while Matthew 23.6 says they phileo those places of honor. So you, you can see them kind of almost used interchangeably. Those are the exceptions, not the rule. Okay? I need to make sure I bring that up because I wouldn't be an honest expositor if I didn't say that. Uh, John, the very writer whose passage we're examining, says in John 20.22 20, 20, that he is the disciple whom Jesus phileoed. We talked about the fact that he understands friendship love because Jesus loved him. He was, he was the best friend of Christ on this earth. But just a chapter later in John 21, John calls himself the disciple whom Jesus agapeoed. So John, many times throughout his writings in the New Testament, uses the words almost interchangeably, but really both words are still key and important in the church today. They're very much important. The highest a view of love is still agape, and I believe that strongly simply based on the fact that 1 Corinthians 13, there's a long chapter given to us of what love is and what it should look like and how it should be practiced, how it should be lived out. We're going to be looking at that in the next coming weeks. When you study that out, it makes perfect sense that it fits together. But sometimes when you dig more into the Word of God, God doesn't let you box them in fully. You don't completely have it work perfectly in 
okay, how does this work over here and this, this work over here? You almost get stumped. I'm saying this as somebody that's looked at this for a while here, and I'm saying there are some things that are blowing my mind as I keep studying this. So next week, we're going to look at the practical side of love. We're going to, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13, and we're going to work that through that chapter. I know a lot of you have already read it many times. Uh, you've probably seen Facebook posts on it. But we're going to look a little more in depth and really kind of try to pull in, how does that apply to us? Next week's going to be a great week. I, I promise you, if that's the week, if no one's come out this whole time, bring them next week, okay? That's the chapter that most people actually will enjoy being in, because that one is the Word of God telling us what love looks like, especially this higher view of love that God calls us to. So, a few warnings before we finish up this morning. Warnings regarding agape love, okay? First warning, a person committed to living out agape love may experience a variety of emotions. Do you see how that could happen? You may experience a great variety of emotions. How does that happen? Well, let's say you you want to show love to somebody that really can't stand you. You want to tell me your emotions aren't going to go all over the place? Oh, sure they will. There's a reason why this love is so hard to live out. This love is particularly hard to live out because your emotions are going to go all over the place. And if you let your emotions dictate love, you no longer have agape love, folks. You no longer have agape love. Because agape love is volitional. I'm decided I'm going to love this person even if the response isn't what I like. Agape love, lived out, may mean the other person never changes or ever responds in the way we would like. I want to be encouraging in this area. Parents, those of you that are older, those of you that are younger, your children may not live your faith the way you would want them to. This love is what God calls you to live out with your children Beyond the storge, that's the natural one that you have. Because if you start putting, attaching expectations from your children, they will never know the love of God the way they ought to. Because they're going to view God's love through the lens of natural man. Do you want to see a supernatural change in your children? Do you want to see a supernatural change in others? Love them unconditionally. It's easy to love people that love you back. That's easy. The world does that. The world loves its own that way. I gave you five bucks, now what are you going to do for me tomorrow? That love is very prevalent in our culture. You know what's a hard love to live out? I'm going to love you even though you can't give me anything back. Even though you're far away from God and you could care less about him, I'm still going to show you that I love you and I care for you and I want you to know the Savior who loved me unconditionally this way as well. In pursuit of loving others unconditionally, one may lose oneself and their own identity. Are you willing to do that? Do you realize that this was viewed as a weakness in Greek culture? It's still viewed as a weakness today. Because the first thought that goes through someone's head that's thinking as a rational person, does that mean that I become a doormat? Does that mean that I just love people and let them walk all over me? Is that what God is talking about here?
This is why when we say we need God's view of love, he's the only one that can give us the identity that we crave for. You see, if you're finding your identity in other people and their opinion, you'll never understand this love. Do you see how different Christians could live if they found their identity in what Christ and God says about them rather than what others that they love say about them? This is especially important to note. We don't find our identity in people and what they do in, our, in responding to us. We find our identity in Christ who loved us unconditionally. You love unconditionally because he loved you unconditionally. To love unconditionally is not necessarily to feel warm feelings. We can love agape our enemies, but that does not mean we have great feelings towards them for what they've done. This is important, and I think a lot of the church gets this one wrong. Well, God says to love your enemies. You're right. He does say to love your enemies. God does not say throw out common sense. There are some people you should love from a distance. And what I mean by that The father loved his son, who was a prodigal, and he went out in the country. The father didn't go running after him with the pigs. He waited for the son to come home. The father was always available. Can we agree? Always available. And when the son came coming home, the father ran out to meet him. That illustration should tell you a lot more about what God's love looks like sometimes in those circumstances where you're going, how do I do this? This person is toxic. They're terrible. They're frustrating. They're irritating to deal with, and I'm not sure that I can love them that way. You could still unconditionally love them. But that doesn't mean you have to spend every waking moment with them. You can still unconditionally love someone else that's done you wrong, that doesn't mean you have to have warm, affectionate feelings for them. That'd be a really sick way of looking at love if God expected that from us. Now, how do I know that's true? Well, Jesus went to the cross on our behalf, and it says that, who endured the cross, despising the shame. Jesus didn't go to the cross because he loved doing that. He went to the cross because he loved you unconditionally, even though it hurt. Loving others unconditionally does not mean getting abused by others unconditionally. Loving others unconditionally means that you are willing to step out in faith saying, I'm going to show this person I care about them, I'm praying for them. But if they are going to sit there and do something that's going to ruin my relationship or walk with God, then I'm going to love them at a distance. Scripture has a lot to say about staying away from certain people. So God is not contradicting his word here. If you want to see what God says about certain people you should hang out with, certain people you shouldn't hang out with, read the book of Proverbs. My boys and I, we talk a lot about the kind of people they need to stay away from. That does not mean you don't love people. It just means that you need to have practical wisdom sometimes that many of the church is lacking.
That means when the church is persecuted for its faith, it can love those that persecute them without having warm, affectionate feelings for them. Now, how would that love be demonstrated? Well, it could be demonstrated by, hey, that person doesn't even want to talk to me. I'm going to still send them a card. Hey, that person doesn't even want to reach out to me. I'm going to reach out to them, send them something, remind them that I care about them, and if they ever want to come home, they can come home. That person really did me wrong here. I can't love them unconditionally. I can't love them with this kind of love. Are you asking me to go through that abuse again? No. I'm asking you to love them unconditionally on behalf of the Savior and asking them to understand that the Savior is who they need, not you. You see, the problem with us is we have this God complex that we live in many times. We think that we can save people. Christians do this all the time. So-and-so is going through this big struggle, and you know what, like three or four people like, well, let me help them out. Let me figure out what they need to do done. They need Jesus more than they need you. Of course you may be the instrument that he uses. I agree and I understand that. But sometimes I think what ends up happening is we tend to try to be the hero right away instead of asking, what would God want me to do here? Jesus, what would you want me to do in this situation where there's a broken marriage and they want to work things out but they don't know exactly how to make this happen? It's beyond just pray about it, folks. Prayer is important. Prayer without action is not complete. It's one of the reasons why even in Sunday school we talk about this this morning. Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, let your request be made known unto God. Prayer and supplication, let your request be made known. With thanksgiving, thanking God, let your request be made known unto God. The reason why you and I have a hard time unconditionally loving people is because we don't understand how unconditionally we've been loved. And let me, let me put this even more practical for you. When God in, in Christ loves us unconditionally, does not, that mean that we no longer have consequences for things we've done wrong? No. We still have consequences. You can pick your sin. You can't pick your consequences. You can't. And that applies to other people. If someone murdered somebody, they deserve to go to jail. There's no unconditional love that says, don't go to jail now. You still need to go. You broke the law. You murdered someone. Don't get this out of balance, folks. So in conclusion, I have a couple questions. Number one, how would your life be different if you fully grasp God's unconditional love for you? How would your life be different if you fully grasp God's unconditional love for you? How different would it be? If you took God at his word, believed him, and continually experienced satisfaction only found in Christ. How different would life be? The second question is a follow-up. Loving others unconditionally involves sacrificing of oneself. Are you willing to give that up? Are you willing to give that up? Are you willing to give of yourself? Are you willing to give 
in areas that I think are going to be hard for you and me to do sometimes. But God wants us to. You see, just as a little baby can't do much for us as a parent, we know we still love them. I mean, what, what can your baby do when they're first born? Can they do much for you besides scream and remind you that they need to eat or they need their diaper changed or they're tired and they need a nap? In those circumstances, we seem to understand unconditional love. Why is it in other areas we can't do it? Folks, there are people all around us that need this kind of unconditional love and that is the avenue that they meet Jesus is when you show them this love. The other loves will never do. Not eros, not storge, not phileo. Agape love is the only one that will do. I want you to think about that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and this reminder again. Father, we are so grateful for this love that you've given to us and shown to us unconditionally. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and the fact that he gave of himself for us, knowing that many of us are absolutely terrible children sometimes. We are terrible disciples. We are constantly ignoring the warnings in Scripture. We constantly look down at others. We constantly think we deserve more than someone else. And Father, yet you sent Jesus to love us when we didn't deserve to be loved. Father, we ask that this morning, if anyone does not know Jesus, that they would want to meet him, want to have that relationship with him, want the gospel message the one that guarantees eternal life that we ourselves can't earn. And we ask that you would please help those of us that are members of this church to love others unconditionally, even those we may not like or stand sometimes. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.